0: Hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John. I'm your host. I am recording on Saturday the 3rd of February 2024 out in Reykjavik, Iceland, um, where it's snowing. It's a very pretty kind of snow right now actually, I was just looking out of the window. It's like a dusty, thick sheet of tiny snowflakes falling really, really slowly. Um, it it's, looks foggy almost outside. It's just very peaceful out there and very beautiful. And I'm really glad it's the weekend, actually. I had a busy couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this very often on the show, but I do actually work in games doing communications um, for a browser game company called .bigbang.com. Um, and we sponsored the Global Game Jam this year. Um, the Global Game Jam is a, a kind of a volunteer-led event um, with sites all around the world. It's free to do, and people join this game jam. Uh, join a site, whether it's physical or in person. There are sites in schools, universities, community centres, game maker spaces, technology institutions, all around the world, all different kinds of spaces. And people come together in physical sites, form teams and make a game in two days using any different uh, technology that they want to use. Um, There are also virtual sites, so people do it remotely as well. Um, And everyone makes games responding to a theme. This year, the theme was Make Me Laugh. So it was comedy-style games or humorous games. Um, And Dot Big Bang sponsored it. Um, So part of my job was working with those guys, making videos, making tutorial material, um, organising streams, all of that kind of thing. Um, But the most fun part of that job is that after the jam, we get to look at all the games people made. Uh, People made nine different games on Dot Big Bang. Um, which is also like a a game creation tool that works in your browser entirely with no download. It's kind of a cool piece of technology that we have. Um, So we got nine different games, um, and then we played through them all. We took videos of them all. Uh, We had the streamer Day9 um, stream them all. Uh, He's a friend of the platform and a friend of the the founders. Um, And so that was a really, really fun time, a really tiring time. Um, And it was really interesting to look at these quickly made games um, responding to a theme and to be involved with all of that, and just to see the wheels turning. Um, it was really, really fun and really, really tiring. So I'm, I'm super glad it's the weekend, but I did enjoy uh, being part of the Global Game Jam this year. Um, and it's a bit of a grab bag episode this this time. I've been, as I said, been like just so busy, man. Not much time for gaming. I played a few things, um, but it is the start of the month. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, we have the PlayStation Plus monthly games. We have What's Coming to Game Pass. Uh, We have a Day of the Devs news story. Um, Steam Next Fest is just around the corner, Um, so there are loads of cool demos popping up on Steam. Um, So I'm going to talk about all of that. I'm also going to talk a little bit about Armored Core um, 6, Fires of Rubicon, which I picked up on sale on the Xbox. I've been dying to play it, Um, but it's a FromSoft game. I'm probably not going to play all of it. I'm probably not going to play much of it, but I do want to try it. Um, So I was really happy to see that was on half price on Xbox, and I picked it up. Um, I also played a little bit of Constance, a Metroidvania that someone recommended in the YouTube comments. Uh, it sounded good, so I went and checked that one out. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about Go Mechaball, um, a, a twin-stick shooter with a pinball style um, that came to Game Pass and just popped up out of nowhere. So I played a little bit of that as well. So, big grab bag episode this week. And before we get to all of that, let me quickly mention, this is a Patreon-supported show, so if you're a long-time listener, or um, someone who is finding it for the first time today, just wanted to let you know you can support the show on Patreon for a dollar a month or more if you like. Uh, You get bonus episodes, you get invited to the patron-only Discord, which is my favourite little game chat community um, anywhere. So you're welcome to come and join us and support this podcast. It helps me upgrade equipment, helps me buy music, buy games, and make the podcast sound better so that's patreon.com slash gaming in the wild if you're interested in that i will also say actually that there have been a lot of people leaving reviews of the podcast on apple podcasts and star ratings on spotify it's been going up pretty rapidly so i'm really happy that people are finding the show i'm really happy that people are liking the show and if you are listening on spotify or apple uh, please do leave a star rating and even a review if you if you uh, feel like it so thanks very much to everyone who's been doing that uh, but the first item that we have in this episode is the PlayStation Plus monthly games. Um, I still have PlayStation Plus. I think I bought a year's membership, and I have some left, uh, but I rarely use it. Um, I would say that a couple of times a year, I do play the the two-hour game trials, which means you can download a new game entirely, play the first two hours, and then decide if you want to keep it or not. I do like that. Um, and there is one coming up that I want to do, actually. Spider-Man 2 has a game trial coming up. It's a game that I didn't want to buy full price. I don't like them to the tune of £70, but I do like them to the tune of 30 or especially just a two-hour runaround for free. Um, so I'll be trying that out. Um, I think the value of P- PS Plus is probably tilted towards people who don't have a vast digital library and a huge backlog of games. Um, maybe someone who has just gotten a console um, could hop onto PlayStation Plus Plus and really get their money's worth by playing, you know, The Last of Us 1 and 2, The Horizon games, Retro and Clank, Demon Souls, uh, Housemark games, Returnal is on there, all of those games. Um, so if you are a new player, it's vast value. But if you ended up buying most of those games at release and they came onto the service a year later, Maybe you're not using it as much, so I'm, I'm thinking about whether or not to renew mine, but I do still like checking out the monthly games each month. Um, you get three each month as part of your subscription. Um, and this month, it is Rolodrome, um, a cool shooting and skating game that I have covered on this podcast. Uh, there is an episode in the backlog, if you'd like to hear my thoughts on that one. Very cool visually, uh, very hard, um, but very stylish. That was a cool game, and it's a good, it's a good addition here, actually. Um, there is also Steel Rising. This is a gothic steampunk Souls-like. It Weirdly, it came out in the same year as Lies of P. It came out last year, and it was entirely overshadowed by Lies of P. Um, Lies of P was hailed as the best Souls-like that isn't by FromSoft, and even better than FromSoft games in some ways. Um, Steel Rising just seemed to sink like a stone. Um, It looks cool, though. It has a similar sort of marionette steampunk style to it. Um, it's a Souls like. If you like Souls likes, check out Steel Rising. Um, the final game on PS Plus Monthly is Foam Stars. This is a game by Square that is basically a direct copy of Splatoon, but rather than paint, you're using foam. So you create these big foamy structures in an arena. Um, it's a floor coverage thing. You can also shoot people with your foam, do special tricks, all of that kind of stuff. It's going to be multiplayer. Um, it looks cool. Um, I think there's been mixed responses to this one. Some people have just uh, derided it for being so Splatoon-adjacent, but I've also seen some people streaming it and saying the game is actually really, really fun, uh, including Kyle Bossman, a, a favourite streamer of mine. Um, he had a really good time in Foam Stars. Um, so the fact that it's coming to PS Plus is is probably smart for building a player base, um, and it's also kind of fun that PlayStation players can just get to try it out. It comes to Xbox and other consoles a bit later, a month later, I think. I think it's a March release on Xbox. Um, speaking of Xbox, I did try and check out what's coming up on Game Pass. Um, there is not a lot formally lined up right now, uh, just a couple of games. There is a game called Anushard, um, A-N-U-C-H-A-R-D, Anushard or Anushard. Um, it's a simple-looking top-down dungeon crawler uh, with some puzzles, a puzzly element, and an overworld that looks like a little medieval top-down style Um zelda e aspect to it. Um, Didn't blow my socks off, but I might give it a spin. I do like to try out things that come to Game Pass, just even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, you know, sometimes you get a nice surprise. Um, Also coming to Game Pass is a little to the left. Um, This month, this is possibly the most infuriating game I've ever played, actually. It's a puzzle game about tidying up, putting things in order, for example, um, from the biggest pencil down to the smallest pencil or putting things in colour order, or seeing patterns, turning glasses, so that all the patterns on the glasses match, um, which could have been tailor-made for me. My brain definitely thinks that way visually. Um, But it turned out that some of the patterns that you are supposed to identify are absolutely, utterly obscure, um, esoteric, almost invisible to the naked eye. And so you are left in this unenviable, paralysed position of being someone that enjoys pattern recognition and sorting and yet cannot do it, so it has the opposite effect that it's supposed to have. Um, it is not soothing, it's not calming, it's not fun, it's actually enraging, frustrating and triggering in some fundamental way. A truly horrible game, um, but a little to the left is coming to Game Pass this month as well. Um, on the Epic Game Store, there is a free game coming up that is a good one, it's Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. This is an infamous visual novel that starts out as a kind of a social sim and goes in some dark directions. And starting on Monday is the Steam Next Fest. This is something that I always look forward to. There are a few of them a year, um, but the new year one always seems to be really chunky. I've got a feeling that people work towards the end of the year with the aim of having their game in a playable state for the, the first Next Fest of the year. So the January one or the February one is always a big one. It's February 5th to the 12th, and hundreds of demos go up on Steam. Um, it sorts them, so the, the most played ones you can look at, you can look at the highest rated ones, or you can look at a curation of them. Um, and I always find that there's a mixture of like hype indie games that I've been looking forward to, um, and just completely random stuff. I will just scroll hundreds of games, download a whole bunch of them, um, see what I can play, try them all out for five minutes. Sometimes you find an absolute gem. Um, so I'm really looking forward to NextFest. There's a, a bunch of games out already. There is a demo for Flock, the multiplayer bird collecting game that is coming out published by Annapurna. I think it was featured in a Nintendo Direct or you know Summer Games Fest or something like that. Um, looks kind of cool. I've downloaded that to my ally. Looking forward to giving that a try. Um, Arco is already there. It's a turn-based RPG. Um, Children of the Sun, a game that I had not heard of until this week, um, has a demo. It's an assassination game being published by Devolver, uh, where you run around in a 3D world, you line up shots to take people out, you fire, and then you can control your bullets, but not entirely. Like You hit someone, and then you get to take another direction and shoot again. So you have to plan. It's like a puzzle element where the bullet flies between different people, um, very much like the uh, the JFK magic bullet theory except it really is real in (laughs) in this game. Um, So I'm looking forward to trying that one out. There is also a demo for Pepper Grinder. This is a really, really hyped indie game um, where you drill through the earth in a flowing movement, an arc through the earth, and then pop out and platform and drill through the earth again. So it's a fluid movement pixel art platformer or anti-platformer Uh, reverse-platformer, you could say. I'm looking forward to trying that one out. And also Harold Halibut has a demo. Um, I talked about that last week. It didn't run on my PC. Um, The developers heard that review and reached out to me and suggested tweaking some settings. Um, They said that the the upscaling might have been being too aggressive or something. Um, I really appreciated them reaching out to me on Twitter. And so I am going to try that one again with the recommended settings, and I'm just hoping that it's in good shape when it comes to Xbox. Um, So loads of good games, and the Fest hasn't even started yet, um, and that's like six games that I'm looking forward to trying. So next week's episode might well be a roundup of all the games at Steam Next Fest. I'm super excited about that, and excited about all the games I don't even know are getting demos yet, and all the games I haven't even heard of yet. It's just a feast of new stuff to try. Really, really fun. Um, So I'm looking forward to that starting on Monday. There is one news item that caught my eye this week as well. Um, Day of the Devs. I think Day of the Devs is probably my favorite showcase event on the calendar. It just has a different kind of spirit to all of the other ones. A lot of them seem very commercially focused and they have very slick CG trailers, one after the other, just back to back to back to back. Um, And a lot of them just feel a bit off. Um, There's a strange level of discourse around them. Uh, with people just being so angry and all of that kind of gamer Twitter culture feeding into it. And there's a a fevered, slick, corporate wrongness to it all. And Day of the Devs is like the opposite of all that. It's organised by uh, Double Fine, um, the developers who are obviously so full of personality, and Tim Schafer, um, just a real beacon um, in the game development community, just a good guy, a no-nonsense guy, um, in love with the craft of making games, Um, a real lover of games, a real lover of life it seems like. Just seems like such a cool person. Um, And it's funny that when you get someone like that um, and a scene blossoms around them, that scene is imbued with their qualities too. Um, And so Day of the Devs is just a really joyful, developer-focused look at forthcoming indie games. Um, And it's been part of Summer Games Fest, it's been part of various things throughout the years. Um, And it has finally gone an extra step and become a non-profit. It's currently fundraising, to do a whole bunch of events throughout the year, um, and you can pledge money to it. You can get like a hundred dollars or 250 dollars or less if you want. And a hundred dollars sounds like a lot, but you get like a 30 game package um, for Steam, including loads of games that have been on Day of the Devs in the past, such as Oxen Free One and Two, Melatonin, a wonderful rhythm game that I recommend you try for sure, and um, Psychonauts Two from Double Fine, Sea of Stars, last year's Indie Game of the Year. Um, at the Game Awards, uh, Toem, Venba, Snacks, Birth. Like this is a really, really strong list of games. Um, so if, for example, you've just gotten yourself a new Steam Deck or something, um, spending this $100 is gonna net you just a really bumper collection of indie games. Um, and I think for the 250, you get like a physical bag of like caps and coats and hoodies or whatever. Uh, both of those packages also give you VIP entry to Day of the Dev's in-person events, uh, which happen Um, around the U.S., but focused on the West Coast, I believe. Um, So if you are a West Coast dweller, um, you get that extra bonus of being able to skip the queue at Day of the Devs events, which are public events, um, it should be said. Um, So if you're interested in all of that stuff, it's at dayofthedevs.com. If you would like to hear Tim Schafer talking about this, um, he was on the MinMax show this week, MinMax with two Ns. Uh, It's a game talk show that I watch every week. And he spoke quite eloquently So check that out if you'd like to hear Tim Schafer talking about this new development for the future of Day of the Devs. I've got here in the first section of the show before we get to talking about some games that I've played is it is the start of a new month and I do like to run through the games that are coming out and highlight a few that I'm excited about myself at the start of each month and take a look at a few of the big games that are coming out as well. Um, This is a spreadsheet that we use that is actually maintained by myself and Dovetail from the community and a few others in the Discord community I think hop in and punch games in here as well. Um, So thanks very much to Dovetail and to anyone else from the Discord. Um, who helped to keep this list up to date. And as far as I know, this is up to date. I had a quick run through some of these dates, but you know, dates do move around, so um, don't take it as gospel. Uh, But the first one that we have here is already out. It came out on February 2nd. It is a controversial one. It is Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Um, This is a game that has had a torturous uh, marketing campaign uh, where people have just come out absolutely against the game. Um, the microtransactions, the, the grind of it all. It's a multiplayer shooter in which players control the suicide squad, so Harley Quinn and all of those guys, and they have to go out and kill the Justice League, which is superheroes that we all know and love. And um, So it's a, an anti-hero kind of story. Um, I watched someone streaming a little bit of it. I watched um, Jeff M. streaming it, um, and I enjoyed what I saw, actually. You run up walls in this game. You have double jump, triple jump, pound attacks, melee, and... Uh, combo attacks where you kick people and then shoot them in slow motion. All very, very cool. All very, very slick. Um, so the tutorial part of it that I watched, like I watched half an hour where you get introduced to all the different members of the su- suicide squads, um, I really enjoyed actually, but I think it's performing badly critically. I've seen mixed response to it online, but from people who are actually playing it, um, the noises seem to be quite good. Um, so maybe this is just a victim of a marketing cycle, a little bit like Starfield was last year. Uh, anyway, that's out now. On the 6th, so Tuesday, as I'm recording this, there's a game called Clem coming out. Um, it's a puzzle game. It has a ghostly kind of theme to it. You are a little haunting ghost kiddie thing running around a house um, trying to solve item puzzles, trying to craft items to let you get into different areas. It has a, a picture book fairy tale sort of feel to it. Um, it's developed by Mango Protocol. And published by Iceberg, interesting looking one. Um, on the eighth, Foam Stars. I've talked about that one already, um, and also Hell Divers Two, um, a reworking of the Hell Divers format. I believe the original Hell Divers was a top-down, um, squad-based tactics kind of game, and the new version, the sequel rather, springs it out into 3D. Um, I'm interested to see where the critics come down on that one, whether it successfully makes that transition. Um, on the 13th is the first big one of the month for me. Um, it is Ultros by Hadok and published by Al Huevo. Um, it's a psychedelic Metroidvania with a visual style that I've just not seen before anywhere. It looks like um, a 60s acid rock album mixed with a stained glass window in motion. It is something to see. Um, so I'm dying to see Ultros. I mean, a lot rests on movement, combat, progression, uh, the map and Metroidvania structure. There are a lot of things to get right uh, when you start making a Metroidvania, so I'm very curious to see if ultros will manage to do that on the 13th. Also on the 13th, um, this was one of those word salad game names. It's called Banishers: Ghosts of New Eden. Um, I mean, that's just a bunch of words. You know, it could be, it could be Red Bush, Fall of the Glass King. You just throw together any words that don't mean anything, and it sounds like a video game. Banishers, Ghosts of New Eden. Um, It's by Don't Nod, which is a good sign, published by Focus. It's a combat-heavy action RPG. Um, It has a dark, noir kind of feel to it, and a witchery kind of feel to it. Um, You play as a ghost hunter who travels across an alternate 1800s America, um, banishing ghosts, moving into alternate worlds, uh, fighting evil Lovecraftian creatures. Uh, It looks kind of cool. Um, but it also looks, to be real, a little bit forespoken-y, like something about it is looking good but not quite there. Um, so I'm very curious to see how this one shakes out, that is Banisher's goes of New Eden. Um, on the 14th, on Valentine's Day, it is Sucker for Love. This one was featured in Ludo Narakon 2023. Um, the description of this one is, put the love in Lovecraftian horror, perform terrifying rituals to win the affections of eldritch horrors and them at any cost. So this is a dating game, um, but it's a horror dating game. It's like a parody dating game in which you are trying to date monsters. Um, I remember playing something a little bit like this, where it was a Tinder simulator, a phone game, uh, where you had to swipe left and right on different ghosts, was it called Speed Dating for Ghosts even? Maybe. I might be conflating a couple of different games here, um, but there was one that was like a Tinder simulator, but weird. Uh, this is like a dating visual novel parody. Sounds interesting. It's by Akabaka, published by Dread XP, Out on the 14th, that is Sucker for Love. Um, on the 16th, a controversial one, Skull and Bones by Ubisoft, the, uh, the long-delayed pirate game, um that has just been through the worst development hell. It seems to have been in development forever. Um, I was recently re-watching some old Easy Allies um, fantasy draft episodes because I just find them funny. It's funny to look back on fantasy draft episodes from like 2016, 2017, and see what people went for, see what people thought was going to be big, and see if in retrospect they were right or not. Um, Skull and Bones was being picked back in, I think, 2016. So this game has been in development for seven plus years um, at least, so very curious to see where this one comes down. Um I remember that when they first showed gameplay, people were a little aghast uh, because Sea of Thieves exists, and people seem to really like it. Skull and Bones just seems like such a lesser version of that. Uh, people also have very fond memories of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Um, and this just seems like a lesser version of the boat combat from Black Flag. But it has been delayed multiple times, it has been rethought multiple times, and I'm very curious to see where it comes down. I'm kind of low-key rooting for it in a way. Um, It would be a really nice story if they managed to turn this game around. And I think I have an active Ubisoft subscription at the moment, because of Prince of Persia, so I might actually be able to give it a try for free. Um, On the 20th, we have the Thaumaturge, um, Thaumaturge, this is an interesting word, I looked it up. It's an old word for magician or miracle worker, um, like an arcane, out-of-use word for a miracle worker, um, developed by Fool's Theory, published by 11-Bit. Um, they describe it by saying, The Thaumaturge is an isometric, story-rich RPG with a unique take on turn-based combat, character development, investigation mechanics, and morally ambiguous choices. Um, and it's got a Lovecrafty feel to it. What game doesn't have a Lovecraft feel to it these days? There are three coming out this month alone. Um, Looks kind of interesting, this one. I'll wait for the reviews for sure. I feel like there's quite a big margin for how this one could do. You know, it starts at the very, very top at like Disco Elysium levels of amazing. And it goes down to like something like The Sinking City, uh, you know, which is like a, a a pretty janky Lovecraftian game. So this one could come down anywhere on that scale for me. That's the Thaumaturge on the 20th. On the 22nd, there are a couple of games coming out. There is Nightingale. Um, This is a fantasy-looking multiplayer Valheim, and so not for me, um, but if you are a fan of that kind of thing, crafting open-world survival multiplayer, uh, Nightingale is on the 22nd. Um, Also on the 22nd, Open Roads, a game that I've talked about a lot by Fulbright, or rather Open Roads Team, as they split off from the studio during the development of this game. Um, It's a story-led, Uh, visual novel-looking thing where you go on a road trip with your mom, um, you puzzle out family secrets, you sort through your notebook, um, and you take to the open road. So it's a road trip story game published by Annapurna. Coming to Game Pass, apparently, um, on the 22nd, so I'll definitely be trying that one. Also on the 22nd, Pacific Drive one that I've really been waiting for. I think this would be my pick of the month in terms of my excitement level. It's by Ironwood Studios, published by Kepler. It is the road-like in which you take a beaten old station wagon on runs um, through the zone, which is a little bit like uh, the Stalker zone uh, from that game, um, mixed with a bit of X-Files. It's like America, but undergoing some kind of supernatural um, disaster with strange beings, strange distortions in reality, um, environmental hazards, creepiness, x Filesy creepiness going on. Um, You take out your car, you try and get out of the zone. Um, I think a lot of the times you'll be smashed by these uh, aggressors and phenomena, and then you power up your car with all of the loot that you got on that run, and you try and go again. Um, An interesting take on the roguelike. Um, It looks phenomenal. Um, The graphics look really great. So, Pacific Drive is a big one for me on the twenty-second, and finally, also on the twenty-second, that's the fourth game on the twenty-second. We have Corpo Nation: The Sorting Process uh, by Canteen and published by Playtonic. Um, This one looks like a cyberpunk papers please, where rather than looking down at your your communist desk while you're stamping passports, you are using a um, computer desktop interface to do your job. Your job seems kind of creepy. Um, you, as the character, have doubts about what you are doing. You talk to your friends on chat applications. You wonder if you are being watched. You try and figure out what the uh, the results of the tasks that you are doing are. And there is a demo for this one, so I'm going to give it a try. I am intrigued. That is Corpo Nation, the sorting process, also out on the 22nd of the month. Uh, two more to go. On the 28th, it's the Brothers remake. Um, I played Brothers A Tale of Two Sons um, on the Switch, Um, I had a good time with it. It was the first game by the guy who did, um, what's it called again? Um, A Way Out, and It Takes Two. So he is like the don of um, cooperative multiplayer or two-player co-op games. Um, Brothers, you could play single player. I think I controlled one brother with each of the thumbsticks. Um, Had a fairly good time with it. You could see that it was a developmental um, look at the genre that he ended up owning with his later works, but it is getting a remake on the 28th. And finally, on the 29th, um, I I think a lot of people are looking forward to this one. Um, It's Final Fantasy Rebirth. So it's uh, part two of the Final Fantasy VII Remake Trilogy. I have played some of the first one. Um, I'm not quite sure what I think of it, honestly. It's visually beautiful. It is a really stunning reimagining of Midgar, um, and a really fantastic reimagining of the characters, which are just a little bunch of polygons in the original but now have so much more personality. They've also rewritten the story. They've reworked the combat to be ARPG style, so you move around using cooldowns and turn-based stuff. Very, very cool, but also the bad parts of the game, the original game, came with it as well. Like I remember lots of running into walls in the original game, lots of invisible walls everywhere, and lots of silly little like mazes where you get stuck on scenery. And for some reason, they brought all of that too. Um, in one way, I admire it because it does have the spirit of the first game in it. In another way, I'm like, why didn't you, why didn't you let go of the baggage, let go of all of the baggage of the old game, um, and imagine it in a new way? Um, so I don't know. I've got mixed thoughts about Final Fantasy VII remake. It's I'm not as high on it as the rest of the world seems to be, um, but I did really enjoy it. You know, I played the original Final Fantasy back in the day, all four discs on the PlayStation One. Um, so I have it has nostalgia, um, and it has some amazing moments. I think the highlights of the um, the first Final Fantasy VII remake are really high. Like when you get to that area where there is like a, a cabaret that you take part in and the gambling, and all of this stuff. It was lovely to see, I forget what it's called, the Edge Wall, or something like that, um, the wall, wall Market, I think it's called. Um, and in Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, we are going to probably visit the Golden Saucer, which is one of the more memorable locations from the original game too, so I think I will probably end up playing this one. The hype will get me. When Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out at the end of the month. Um, And that's the last one we have for that monthly roundup. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you found something to look forward to. Um, And it's time to move on and talk about some of the games that I have been playing this month. And I think we will start off with the recent arrival on Xbox Game Pass Go Mecha Ball. So Go Maker Ball is developed by Whale Peak Games. It's published by Super Rare. It is out on PC and Game Pass. I played it on Xbox, so it performs very well. It has a 68 on Metacritic, so it's been getting some pretty average reviews across the board. Um, How Long to Beat has it at 3 hours for the story and 6 hours for completionists. And the developers have to say about this game, load up and roll out in this twin-stick roguelike shooter. Blast your way through arcade-style levels, using pinball-style physics mixed with an arsenal of devastating weapons. Um, I have to say about this one. It's a fun twin-stick shooter in which you ping around arenas like a pingball, blasting and bopping enemies into submission. It's decent fun, but both the mechanics and progression feel a little too loose. So this is going to be a bit of a brief review. It's quite a slight game, really. It is an isometric twin-stick shooter that will feel very familiar to People that played those games in arcades, original players of Smash TV, more recent players of Nex Machina, things like that. Uh, But it also has pinball movement um, in a really cool way, actually. So you have a little robot that you run around with in this isometric sci-fi setting. Um, You will occasionally see ramps with flashing lights on them, like a pinball table. If you roll in your ball form, you will blast up those ramps and bounce around. So you are blasting, bouncing, uh, rolling, shooting, running... Um, all of those things on cooldowns. So it's pretty arcadey and fun in that way. Um, You start out in a hub area. There are three gacha machines there. You can spend currency there that you get through runs um, to open up new abilities, like a pound attack when you are airborne, little things like that. You can also unlock new weapon types like rapid-fire machine guns, more powerful shotguns, laser rifles, uh, things like that, and roguelike perks as well, such as increasing damage or XP. But when you actually get these things in the gacha machine in the lobby, it just means that that card might appear. So between each level, when you are doing your run, cards will drop, and if you have unlocked more of them in the lobby area, then they will become available in your runs, but you don't get them to use permanently. As far as I can see, there isn't any uh, permanent upgrade here, which feels a little lame, actually. Um, I think that's an important part of progression, is that you feel like you're getting stronger from run to run and that no run is wasted, um, that's not the case here. And that's a big ding against any roguelike, is that you feel like some of your runs can be wasted. Um, but once you come out of the lobby and you shoot into the area, the, the first arena, they are small arenas with lots of pinball bouncing, lots of different levels that you have to jet up to and fall down to. And you just have to clear waves of enemies and um, there are a couple of waves to clear and um, once you've done that you'll move on to the next level and get to pick perks and that kind of thing so you run around on l2 use the right stick and trigger for shooting you can dash on one of the shoulder buttons for impact damage so you can dash either to escape um, from an area of effect attack or to bash into a shield enemy or something like that to make it vulnerable or to cancel enemies out of their attacks so it's a very forcible aggressive melee attack that you get but it is on a cooldown You can only use it once every, I'd probably say, four or five seconds. Um, But if you do hold down the dash button, um, you can roll. It's just the actual attack that is on a cooldown. So you can always roll out of danger. Um, You get pickups as well. You get currency. You get occasionally health, um, although it's very, very scarce. A little too scarce, I would say. Um, You also get ammo, because your guns run out of ammo. You can hold two weapons at a time, um, hit Y to switch weapons. Some of them are short-range, some of them are electrical, some of them are explosive... There's a shotgun that is very powerful but very short-range, a machine gun that fires very rapidly but doesn't do that much damage, all of that kind of stuff. So you can find the weapons that you prefer. After three levels, you reach a boss. Um, The bosses are kind of fun. They are bigger, they pounce, they have um, charges, so you can see where they are going to charge. And you have to roll out of the way, you have to hit them, they have minions that come in, they have phases, they have different attacks... Um, I got through the first boss on my second or third go. I never got through the second boss. Um, I'm not quite sure how many bosses there are um, or how many levels there are. Um, The second boss, I kept getting to the second boss, but I had no health left, Um, which I will get into in uh, the critique part of the game. But the bosses are fine. They keep you on, on your toes. They have different charge, splash attacks. You have to watch your movement. You have to watch your ammo. You have to take out the minions to refill your ammo, and you have to alternate between rolling attacks and shooting attacks and grenade attacks or any anything else you've managed to pick up on your run. Um, and the whole thing is, I would say, fairly decent basic fun. Um, but I would also say that this game doesn't excel in any one area. Uh, I feel like in a lot of other games, like especially I think of Nex Machina, just excelled in level design and the ingenuity and uh, the flow of you moving from level to level, um, the variety of the different levels. It had a lot of great points to it. Um, Smash TV obviously was in one arena, that's the classic twin-stick shooter, with waves and waves of crazy enemies, and they're almost like Vampire Survivors-like style. Um, this game, I guess the pinball would be the thing. Um, it is the unique selling point, but it feels very loose. Um, I often didn't feel fully in control of my character, um, and was pinging around with a little too much randomness um, for me. Um, so With that not being an especial selling point, um, that leaves this one in a bit of a tricky situation, I think. Um, I would also say, just to get some of the critiques out of the way, um, I don't know why this is a roguelike. Um, The arenas and enemies seem exactly the same each time, um, and the rewards that you get, the things that you unlock, aren't particularly game-changing. So it seems to want to be a roguelike, but to lack the things that make roguelikes successful. Um, in that genre. It doesn't really feel like any of your unlocks make a profound difference to the next run. Um, That's a really big problem. Um, So my mind is drawn to it being a roguelike for perhaps the wrong reasons, which is that roguelikes get to reuse assets, roguelikes get to reuse levels, the player plays them again and again and again. Um, Some roguelikes will shuffle the level around, so it's different each time. Um, I feel like this one doesn't. Like The the arenas and bosses are always the same, always in the same order. The enemies are always the same. So perhaps it isn't a roguelike if that is an essential aspect of it to you. Perhaps it is just a run-based shooter. Um, It just does have those those mid-level perks that you get, different builds, different weapons each level, but the systems just don't feel fully fleshed out or balanced or fully thought through, I would say. Um, Another critique that I've got is that Mid mid run health regen is very hard to come by. Um, you will not get um, health regen between levels. I think only between actual arenas. You do like arena with three waves, then arena with three waves, and then boss. And I don't think that at any point during that you get health regen. You only get it after a boss when you start the next entire level. Um, so you will find that your health gets sapped slowly. Um, especially with the random pingy, pinball nature of it. You're sometimes just going to barrel into enemies um, and lose health, and you can't get it back unless you happen to come to a shop before a boss that has health. Um, The shop doesn't always have it, and you can't always afford it. It feels like they are stingy with money. Um, And I felt very frustrated. Like, sometimes I got to the second boss. I think I got to the second boss three times. All of those times, I didn't have enough money to buy health, or there was no health in the store, and I had like 10%, so I might as well have just quit, uh, which is a really shitty situation to find yourself in as a player and very frustrating. I was like, the game isn't balanced to give me a chance. And you could say get hit less, um, to which I would reply, um, that's not really possible with the movement mechanics on offer here. Um, So there is like a bit of a balance issue there with health, with running out of ammo sometimes, mid-level, it's a bit frustrating. Um, I would say that your cooldowns and your ammo aren't visualised clearly enough in the UI that you have time to look at them whilst you are doing the chaotic bouncing and shooting. Um, I would say that perhaps having things in the corner of the screen in such a busy game isn't effective. I would look at something like Dead Space where your ammo or your life is on the back of your character, your ammo is on your gun. You can kind of see it in the screen as you're playing. I think that this game maybe needed a little bit more ingenuity in having a UI that is actually able to be looked at during very frantic gameplay. So lots of critique for this one, but it is like a simple shooter, and it is like a good time. It's a simple good time. Um, I would say if you want something to play for 20 minutes now and then, Just a nice, busy, easy, pick-up, put-down shooter. Um, Give this one a try, honestly. If you play it for hours, those things might start to grate on you. But it is only a three-hour game, so I don't know. Mileage may vary on this one. I think some people might just blast through it and have a whale of a time. I ended up picking lots of little holes in it and having a bit of a frustrating time. But I do still like the game. I like that it is chaotic, old-school, twin-stick fun. The bouncing and the boosting around is enjoyable, if chaotic. The enemy AI is super aggressive. Um, the enemies really do try and run at you, and they have momentum. So you, it's very engaging. You have to be very engaged as a player, stay on your toes. And it has that great retro twin-stick spirit to it. Um, as for the bad stuff, variety of balance issues, running out of ammo, health is too hard to come by the roguelike elements aren't really there. Um, but overall, it's like a simple good time. That's Go Ball. Two more games I'm going to talk about. One of them is Armoured Core 6, which I really enjoyed. But before I get to that, um, I want to talk about Constance. This is a game that someone recommended to me in the YouTube comments. If you don't know, by the way, there is sometimes a video version of this show on YouTube, um, so you can go and look at footage of games. Uh, check that out if you're listening listening to the podcast um, so someone recommended Constance. It's a nice basic action platformer Metroidvania. I tried out the demo on Steam. It has a, an illustrated art style. It's side-on. Um, you start with a very pared-down move moveset, um, which I guess is somewhat standard for the Metroidvania genre. So you have an air dash, you have a dodge roll, um, and you have a strike. You travel between checkpoints, taking out enemies. Um, they are somewhat gauntlet-like. Getting to the next checkpoint does feel like an achievement. Uh, That's how I knew I was making progress when I got to a new checkpoint. I did die quite a lot. Um, It's just the combinations of enemies mean that you have to stay on your toes. So you take out enemies, you amass currency. Um, I found one shop where you can spend the currency on the usual kind of stuff that you find in these games, like heart containers, um, things like that. Um, It's all very serviceable, um, but it was not very inspired, I felt. Um, And I think that... Whether or not you want your Metroidvania to be inspired or serviceable varies from player to player. I listen to some channels on YouTube where people just love to burn through Metroidvania after Metroidvania. If that is you, then Constance is a good one to try. If you are someone who likes just the cream of the crop, like the actual Metroids, and the Hollow Knights, and that sort of thing, and the Orries Constance is a bit, a bit of a lower-ranked game than that, I would say. Um, I did feel like it was keenly adherent to the genre, I think of Prince of Persia The Lost Crown, which came out recently, um, which gave you a lot of manoeuvrability, and a lot of abilities straight off the bat, so the game always felt good. This one's more like Super Metroid, where you start with nothing, Um, and I really felt that quite keenly. I felt frustrated that I couldn't wall-cling, wall-jump, I couldn't even swipe upwards, and there were flying enemies, so you have to jump and strike them horizontally, which felt just a little like something was missing to just enjoy the game on a basic level. Um, I'm not sure how fast you power up in this game. Um, I played it for about half an hour, and I thought, yeah, okay, I know what this is, and I I turned it off. So there's probably a boss in the demo. Um, There's probably an ability or two in the demo um, that you could find. So if if you're looking for a basic Metroidvania, um, Constance is out there. And with that, let's move on to the final game of this episode. It's a little first thought. It's not a full review, just my first thoughts on Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. The irony of me covering this game is not lost on me, um, especially after covering Lies of P recently, uh, which I enjoyed, but then also used as a, an avenue to express my distaste for the FromSoft player-punishment philosophy of game design. And then here I am, just a couple of weeks later, buying Armored Core 6. But there's a lot to love about From Games too, man. They are good games. They are intriguing games. The mechanics are always tight. The worlds are always cool. Um, And so when Armored Core 6 came on sale recently, I just impulse bought it and took the plunge. Um, So this is FromSoft's mech battler, um, third person. Um, You get to customize your mech with different weapons, different uh, weights, different classes, different types of armor, tracking systems, things that will put your weight up, put your melee at power down, things like a laser sword that you can use to charge in, um, different configurations of weapons, I mean, you can also customise your mech in terms of colour scheme. Um, There is a vast variety of customization options for the player, so you really do get to make the mech your own um, and feel connected to it, which is so cool. Um, And the game is divided up into levels. There's a little bit of story too. Um, You arrive on Rubicon as a a young mercenary looking to make their name. You have a handler who will send you out on different missions for different corporations and factions. They vary from clearing out enemies to Finding your license is the first one. You have to go and look at crashed mechs and crashed armored cores and strip out their licensing data to fake your own license. Once you've done that, you get to work uh, taking out enemy turrets for different corporations, defending things, and taking out an armored core that is in transit, which is your first core versus core duel. Um, They're all pretty different. They all have interesting... Um, variation in terms of the tactics you're going to be using. You have to stay on your toes in the missions. They they can be... Like, they're not tough, but if you're not fully paying attention, you can find yourself getting pounded pretty quickly. Um, I would say, like, like all From games, you just have to keep your eye on the ball. But if you know what you're doing, you can stay alive. Um, and controlling the mech is amazing. You have a charge button where you hold down the rockets and you just fly across the floor, like feet still planted on the ground, just creating a furrow... You do feel like you are both heavy and balletically graceful in this mech. You can blast off, that's on a cooldown. So you can fly, you can glide, you can crash through obstacles, you can do these jet jumps onto the roofs of uh, tower blocks. It just feels vast as you are doing all of this stuff. Um, You start off with a gun, um, an auto-targeting system is in place, which is really nice. Um, you just have to look in the right direction, and your targeting system will hone in on the enemies, a little bit like Panzer Dragoon. Um, you, the same goes for homing missiles. You hold down the button to select multiple enemies, and then when you let it go, you'll fire off rockets that will take them all out. Um, you feel powerful in this game. You, you burn through grunt enemies without issue. But um, there are bosses in this game, um, and this is where the critique will come in. The first boss is an absolute roadblock, It is a giant helicopter that comes at you, firing 16 heat-seeking missiles at you, pounding you with gunfire, strafing around the arena. Um, It took me probably 10 or 15 tries to beat it. It was an absolute bastard, this thing. Um, I guess the strategy is that you have to stun it so that it can't attack you, and then charge in with your uh, sword damage and punish it. So you really have to stay in its face, um, which means you have to manage your your jetpack cooldown, your booster cooldown, um, and your missile launcher and sword cooldown, because you can't just spam any of those attacks. They all have a cooldown. Um, So you have to basically stalk this thing around the arena, staying as close as you can to it, or even under it, and then hitting it with all you can uh, when it stays still. But as you are stalking it around the arena, sometimes this thing goes out of bounds and you can't follow it, there's like a flashing red wall. So it's an invisible wall problem, and you're left frustratingly exposed, you're chasing this helicopter, it's gone out of bounds, you're just standing there, and it will hit you with everything that it has, which felt very, very cheap to me and very, very annoying, especially given that you're in a flying mech and should be able to just chase it. So that felt a little bit broken to me, kind of surprising for this developer, which is famous for tight controls, well-planned set pieces, um, this was a bit a little messy to me these invisible walls in this boss fight I did finally take it out but it's the very definition of a difficulty spike like the rest of the game so far has been intensely manageable and really fun um, but that difficulty spike was just too big like I don't get what they are thinking you know when they do these things um, why put that there it just <laughs> I get so mad about this. Like, you didn't prepare the player for it. I was using systems that I hadn't fully worked out yet. Um, I wasn't building up to the boss. The game wasn't teaching me how to play it. It was just stomping me. Um, I hate that. But you know, other than the from problems, um, this is a really good game. The mech feels both crunchily heavy and graceful. I love the rocket boosters. I love the the customization, the swords, guns, the lock-on missiles. The environments are amazing. Um, You're in this vast, broken world that's just like the rubble of a civilization. but there are huge industrial machines stretching up into the sky, like mega structures, um, and you are flying down into it all. You will often see things from a great height and then descend into it in your mech, and it feels incredible. Um, I did also really like dueling another Armored Core, a very fast, nimble opponent, which is just as powerful as me. Um, It felt good, it felt like an evenly matched duel until i figured out how to take it out. You can also repeat missions to build up money, and then you go into the store and you buy yourself new engines, new jets, new legs, new head, and you can mess with your build. So that's my first thoughts on Armoured Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. Um, I've got a feeling that I won't be able to finish this game, given the, the fearsome reputation of some of the upcoming bosses. I hopped onto a Reddit board and people were discussing one boss that they said is harder than anything in Sekiro. Um, that pounds you with 32. Homing. I think it's like the boss that I was just talking about, but worse, uh, but more heavy, but harder um, and more demanding of strategy. So who knows if I will get to the end of this one. I'm guessing probably not, but I am having fun with it for now. You may hear me talk about it again in the future, and I'll give my my final thoughts whether I manage to get through it or whether I ultimately bounce. Um, it does feel great to play, um, and I am enjoying it, but it's still a FromSoft game, and, and they do seem to have a bit of a game design skill issue when it comes to uh, difficulty. Um, that is Armoured Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. So wow, that was a really packed episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, What did we talk about again? We talked about all of the new games on PS Plus and stuff, uh, Foam Stars, etc. We talked about all the things coming to Game Pass, Day of the Devs, Next Fest, which is just around the corner, and then we had Go Mecha Ball, Constance, and Armored Core Six. I'd like to hear from people who have played Armored Core Six. How did you get on with it? Um, You can reach out to me on social media. I'm Gaming in the Wild on everything: Twitter, Instagram. Etc. Facebook, YouTube, and um, there is sometimes a video version of the show. I may do a cut down, clipped out version that just does the uh, the month ahead look. Um, that seems like a good YouTube format to me. And um, the podcast is a bit more long form. It seems like YouTube people tend not to watch something this long. Uh, but anyway, enough of my content creation thoughts. Um, that's the episode for this week. Um, I will be coming back with a new episode next week, probably talking about the next fest demos. If anything catches your eye. If there's anything you think I should check out within the hundreds of games in Nextfest, and then hit me up. Uh, but take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now.